Proverbs 31 verse 10 to 31. Proverbs 31 verse 10 to 31. And we're continuing with our series on marriage and family. And this evening I'm going to talk about housewives. Now you might find, oh, boring. I didn't want to hear this topic. Well, I hope it's a blessing to you as I'm going to talk about what a Proverbs 31 woman looks like. I think men would like to know and I hope the women would like to know. So let's climb in. Let's go to the Lord first in prayer and ask His grace and mercy. And Lord, I'm deeply aware of how much we need your mercy and grace. Just aware of my own sinfulness, Lord, and how we cannot come before you without the righteousness of Christ, without the forgiveness of our sins, being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, please cleanse me anew, cleanse us afresh, Lord, that we may come before you through Jesus, your Son. And teach us from this passage this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we talk about housewives, most unbelievers have a twisted idea about the topic and about what it means to be a housewife. They think it's the idea of hyper-conservative Christians, it's an archaic idea, it's an old idea, an ancient idea, and according to them, housewives, they, it's like they're standing in, in the back of the line. And housewives, you know, they don't really know what's going on in the world, they can't hold an intelligent conversation, they're missing out on life. They don't contribute anything to society. They are dominated by their husbands. They're dominated by men. And they're just living this senseless life. Senseless life of raising their children. Some people get the idea of housewives from soap operas or from television series. So in their minds, a housewife is someone She's in, she shops all day and she just wastes her husband's money. Or she's on the phone for hours and visiting her friends, gossiping and getting involved in extramarital affairs, in adulterous affairs with men she meets at the gym. And unfortunately there are such housewives, but the Bible doesn't condone that. In 1 Timothy, for instance, chapter 5, in verse 13, Paul says of these women, besides they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not idlers only, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So scripture is not for such kind, such uh, that type of, of housewife. According to the Bible, a good housewife is one who's loyal to her family. And she sees, she sees it as a God-given calling to raise her children and to be someone who manages her house well. And that's how she understands Proverbs 31, this kind of woman. She understands Proverbs 31 in that light. And in Proverbs 31 in the Hebrew, every verse from verse 10 to 31 starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So in one sense, we can speak of Proverbs 31 as the ABC of a good housewife. So let's read Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax, works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor. 
and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes for the merchant or to the merchant. Strength and dignity are clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Number one, we're going to look at her worth. Her worth, that is in verse 10 and then verse 28 to 31. Something that is hard to find, something that is scarce, something that you don't often see, is also very often something that is very valuable. Uh, just take a Ferrari, for instance. You don't see many Ferraris on the road, and immediately we say it's also a very valuable car. And so it is with a good housewife. A good housewife, she's strong, she's rich, she's efficient, she's got talents, she's a worthy woman, she's excellent, she's virtuous. And that's what verse 10 means, an excellent wife, virtuous, excellent. Uh, she's got hidden talents and open talents and efficient woman. And in Ruth chapter 3 verse 11, you see Ruth is described like that. Uh, she's far more precious than jewels, or the Hebrew word can mean rubies or corals or pearls. So all of these gemstones are not enough to pay the bridal price for this woman, to pay la bola for this woman. Uh, chapter 19, verse 14 says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. An excellent wife is from the Lord. You can't really purchase or buy this kind of woman. So don't, don't let the world convince you by saying to you, Yeah, housewife, you know, she's really, she's not worth much uh, like... I heard just three days ago, my wife told me about her friend, and her friend said that another woman had spoken to her and, and kept on trying to convince her to stop being a housewife, get out there, put yourself out there, find a job, you know, as if being a housewife, it's just worthless. Well, not according to verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels. So she's scarce. And therefore, she's also very valuable. Where if you go to the workplace, to the marketplace, to the business place, successful businesswoman, well, you'll find quite a lot of them. But an excellent housewife, hmm, not very often. So if you want to understand the value of an excellent housewife, it doesn't help you ask the people who think that, oh, yeah, housewives, they just lie on the couch all day watching TV, watching soap operas. No, don't ask them. Rather... Rather ask the people who live with her year in and year out. Ask her husband. Ask her children. Because in verse 28, it says her children rise up and call her blessed. They know her as a, as a woman who finds joy in serving her family. The children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And these children, they see it. They especially see the value of their mother when they've left the house, once they've left the house and they started their own families, they see how valuable, what a valuable woman she is, what, what the stuff is this woman is made of, what God has made her of, that she's the best of the best. She's the green beret. Her children rise up and call her blessed, like a lady who was in our church, she's in heaven now, but she used to talk about her mother like that. What a wonderful woman her mother was, she would often tell me. Or a lady who died just two weeks ago at nine, the age of 95. We were at her funeral uh, in the week, and her children at the funeral rose up and called her blessed and spoke about 
what a wonderful mother she was. Charles Spurgeon spoke of his own mother in the highest terms possible, with the highest acclaim and the highest praise. He said, never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. And so Spurgeon spoke of his own mother. The chances are very small and very slender that children will rise up and praise their mother if she's at work from the moment the sun rises till when it's dark. Uh, if she just works all the time and she's never with them. I remember a woman telling me that, that she would, she would work from six in the morning and she would come home after dark at night and this would go on year in, year out uh, for more than a decade, for all the time almost her, her children were young and now her children do not speak very well of that. They're not very happy about that. But if you find a woman who's an excellent housewife, then her children will thank God for her. And if they don't do it now, hopefully they'll do it later on. They'll realize what they had in their mother, like John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. John Newton, his mother died when he was only six years old. But later on in life, she had taught him about the Lord. She had instructed him in the Word, even at that young age. And later on he remembered and he praised his mother and said what an excellent mother he had and that she was greatly responsible for the influence in his life in later on bringing him to the Lord. And then her husband will also praise her, verse 28, almost like the late Martin Holt did. He spoke of his wife Beryl and said what an excellent woman she was. And, you know, he knows. He knows she's not the only excellent woman in the world. But according to him and because he knows her so well, she's at the top of the list. Verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. You surpass them all. You're the best of the best. And it's not because externally she's the most beautiful, or she's got the most beautiful face, or the most beautiful figure. No, it's because she's got the best character of any woman he knows. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So her, her, her beauty is inward. It's an inward beauty, an internal beauty. And it's not, it's not a beauty that just disappears with time and disappears with age, like the woman with their plastered faces at the office or their plastic nails and their, their little office wear. Uh, no, this is not a woman like this. She's got true beauty. She's got inner beauty, as verse 30 says. Charm, deceitful, beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So, men and children, do you praise? the housewife in your life in this way? Do you praise your wife in this way? Do you praise your mother in this way? Do you praise her, her calling as a housewife? Or do you speak down to her, down upon her? You speak uh, with derogatory terms as if, you know, being a housewife is substandard and you tell her, stop wasting your talents this way, get a real job. Uh, children, I want to say to you, do you thank your mother for what she does for you? Or do you, do you just take it as a given? You just... Uh, take it for granted that you should have a clean duvet and uh, clean pillowcases and a hot plate of food and your clothes are ironed and you have a clean house. No, verse 28 and 29 teaches us, say thank you and say thank you often. Thank her often for what she does for you. And then for the men, also give, give, your, give your wife pocket money. Give her an allowance. So she's making profit by stuff she sells and stuff she does. Verse 18, uh, we read, she perceives her merchandise is profitable. Verse 21 speaks of how she makes clothes. Verse 22, she makes clothes. Verse 24, she makes linen garments. She sells them, delivers sashes to the merchant. So she's making money. She's making a profit. Give her some of that profit. Don't allow her to spend all the money on the household and she doesn't have money for herself. Make sure that she has money for herself that she can spend in ways she wants to. In verse 31 it says, Give her the fruit of her hands. She's worked hard with those hands. Give her the fruit of those hands. Give her the profit that she can use it also in ways she pleases. And then give her the honor that, that is her due. Respect her. Give her the respect that is her due. Uh, Romans 13 verse 7 tells us. And speak well of her in front of other, in front of other people. That's what the... Man did in verse 23, you see, 
Her husband is known in the gates. He sits among the elders of the land. So the city gates is the place where they did business transactions and court cases and so on. So her husband's quite important. He's sitting in the gates among these elders. He's a leader in the land. But then verse 31 at the end, let her works praise her in the gates. In other words, there where her husband sits in the city gates, let her works praise her. It doesn't mean the men just praise her because, you know, wow, you're a lucky man. Look at your nice clothes your wife makes. Wow, you're a lucky man. Look at the sandwiches she packs you. No, it's not just that. It's more than that. It's because he has spoken about his wife. And these, these other people in the city gates, they know what a God-fearing woman she is, what a godly woman she is, what a holy woman she is, what a hard-working and loyal wife she is. She's got good character. And so they agree with this man and says, Wow, yes, you're right. Your wife should be praised. She's an amazing woman. And they wish their wives were like that. And so suddenly they realize um, that if your wife is a wife like that, and ladies, if you're such a housewife, people in the, in the secular setting, people at the office with your husband, they realize that, oh, being a housewife, that doesn't mean you're on a lower standard or you're on one step lower than the rest of the women in the office. No, no, no. This woman, this housewife, actually in many cases, she's a step above the woman in secular society. And in the workforce. Number two, her job. That's in verse 13 to 20 and verse 24 and 25. I remember some years ago, it must have been in around 2011 or 2012, my wife did a counseling course and I was at home alone with the kids at various stages for the week. So from Monday to Friday, my wife would leave for the counseling class in Pretoria at six in the morning and she would return at six at night and I had the kids alone I had to do my normal job of um, sermon preparation but I also had the job of housekeeping and cleaning and uh, keeping the house neat and cooking and bathing the kids and dressing the kids they were still small man and I got new respect for my wife just thinking this is hard work I would line up those kids in the bath and wash them like cars okay turn around let me wash three backs Turn around, let me wash three, three tummies. Uh, turn to the side, let me wash three uh, arms and then three legs and three left arms and three left legs and so on. And what hard work that was. John MacArthur says the same. His wife was in a car accident. She broke her neck and for a time he had to do the housekeeping. And he said, wow, I really got respect for my wife. What a conference. Some years back, the Resolution Conference in Joburg, uh, one of the speakers was an American called C.J. Mahaney. And he spoke also of his wife going to a woman's camp. And for, two, for 48 hours, for two days, he was alone with, the, with his daughters. He had to take care of them, look after the girls. And he said, wow. After that first day, it was the second day, he said to his, his girls, all right. And the first day, he said to his girls, okay, girls, I've got a special bedtime story for you. And they said, but dad, we just had lunch. <laughs> and he said, I know, but tomorrow is a big day. <laughs> just had to get these kids to bed, realizing it's such hard work. He was so glad when his wife returned. And we see this, this Proverbs 31 woman. She's like this. She's a housewife. She works really hard. Um, in verse 13, it says, she seeks wool and flax. Now, the word seek in Hebrew, it really means carefully seek. You, you're looking for the best price for the for your money. You, you're looking for the best quality for your money. And so she buys wool because she wants to make winter clothes and then she buys flax. Uh, they use that to make linen, to make material so she can make clothes for the summer. So she's, she wants to make winter clothes and summer clothes. And then when she works, it says she works with willing hands. Hebrew means she does her work uh, with zeal, with passion, with pleasure. Uh, willing hands, she does the work. And unfortunately, some housewives don't do their work job like that. They don't do their work like that, but they sigh, complaining about this, how hard it is to be a housewife, how difficult it is, and they complain all the way. And God doesn't want you to work that way. God wants you to work as if Jesus is coming to eat the meal you prepared today. As if Jesus is coming to sleep in the bed you have made or the bedding you have washed. Matthew 25 verse 14, 40 says, If you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it unto me. Colossians 3 verse 23 Work as if for the Lord. Now that doesn't mean you need to make expensive meals because what if Jesus were the one who 
was coming to eat at my house. doesn't mean you need to make expensive meals, but do the best you can with the money you have. Like this woman, verse 14, she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar, like, like trading ships, going to far places to get the best price, to get the best value, to get the best quality. And so you do that. You, you make your money stretch. You, you'll even drive far to get the best deal, to get specials. My wife does this all the time. Uh, she travels quite far. She travels to Joburg. She, she travels to Boxburg. Uh, doesn't get everything in Kempton. She travels to the far side of Kempton to find the best deals. Uh, she travels to Bridell, to the plots, to get the best deals, to see where's their sale and is it worth it if she counts in the fuel cost. And often it is where she finds potatoes, believe this or not, for one rand a kg, or a punnet of strawberries for five rand, and so on. And then also do the best. Uh, butternut, by the way, for one rand. Amazing. <laughs> do the best. Uh, do the best. So when she finds the food uh, or the deals, she does the best she can, not only to find the deals, but also to prepare these meals. So this Proverbs 31 woman, she's up early to feed her family. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night. She provides food for her household. Uh, now that doesn't mean that every wife, every housewife needs to get up at 3 in the morning or at 4 in the morning because you don't have to grind your own flour or your own maize. You don't need to milk the cows. Uh, you can just go to pick and pay the day before and buy milk and buy Pronitra and feed your family. But what this does mean, if we take the principle, is uh, don't lie in bed until late in the morning uh, just because you don't need to be at work at 8 o'clock. You're a housewife. Don't just lie in bed and be lazy. Get up, get dressed, feed your family, have your quiet time, start your days, and then verse 15 at the end, give the portions for, your, for her maidens. Meaning, if there are people working at your house, You've got a domestic worker, then give her her job for the day. So, right, this is what I want you to do today. I want you to wash windows. I want you to wash the bedding, uh, and so on. So, again, you can see that an excellent housewife, she works harder than most people. She is all of these in one package. She's a manager. She's a nurse. She's an economist. She's an agricultural woman. She's a businesswoman. She's an interior designer. She's a chef. She's a, a designer of clothes and a maker of clothes, a clothes maker, a tailor. Uh, she's a social worker. She's a teacher. You see all of that in the verse 13 to 26. This woman works 24 hours a day, or at least we can say this woman works seven days a week, 365 days a year. And she's not a superwoman. She's not a superhuman and a superwoman. And so that's why she needs the help of her husband. And she needs the help of her husband. Uh, her husband and her children. Help with the dishes. Help with cleaning up the house. Help with packing away your own clothes. So don't expect you walk into the house after your little 8 to 5 job and your wife has been working from the moment she opens her eyes and she works till she goes to bed at night and you're tired and you think you expect your wife now she must just pull it off and, and cook a, a dinner, a five, five course dinner for you. No, rather help in the house when you come back. Pack away the dishes. Do what you can. Pack the dishwasher or whatever you got in your house. Uh, make her a cup of coffee. Let her relax. And help her, especially when it's holiday. During holiday season, help her. Uh, say, listen, darling, honey, angel, sweetie, whatever you call your wife, you don't have to do the cooking during this holiday. We're going to cook. Or we're going to buy meals. Or we're going to go to a laundromat, a wishy-washy, and the clothes will be done for us. The washing will be done for us. You don't need to do it all. Otherwise, this woman feels, you know, the work never stops. And then, uh, furthermore, we see how this excellent housewife, in verse 24, you see that she's sold clothes. She's made clothes and sold them in the marketplace. So she's making a profit. What does she do with this money, the profit she makes? Uh, verse 16 says, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So she plants this vineyard. Later on, she's going to have grapes and raisins and grape juice and wine. And obviously, wine was used as medicine also. According to verse 6, you see wine is given to people who have pain. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 23, wine was used to kill stomach bugs. So the alcohol kills the bug. Don't get any ideas, people. Uh, but wine was used as a medicine. 
And so the lesson here is that the good housewife, it's not that the good housewife buys a piece of land and plants a vineyard. The lesson is a good housewife knows how to work with money. Even though the world thinks, oh, she's a housewife. She probably doesn't know how to work with money. No, she's an accountant, this woman. So she knows how to work with money. She turns, her, turns around these uh, cents. It's like she, I don't know what the English expression is in Afrikaans. You literally say you turn around your cents, meaning you think twice before you spend and this woman knows how to make money, and she does make extra money. So it's simply not true to say you need to find a job outside the home to make extra money, to supply or support your husband's salary, to supplement your husband's salary. No, you can make extra money even if you're a housewife. By working from home, you can make extra money. My wife bakes rusks. She's made a couple of thousand in a month by baking rusks. Uh, some of the ladies in the church make buddhavors. Others do sewing, or they've got, even they've got classes to teach other people how to do sewing, or they make soap, or they make candles, or they knit, they knit blankets or bed socks or whatever, like this woman. Uh, you see in verse 18 and 19 how this woman makes clothes, and then in verse 24 she sells it. And the lesson also from this verse is that, that the excellent housewife, she's not afraid of physical work. She's not afraid to work hard. Verse 16, you see she, she plants the vineyard. And then verse 17, she dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. So she becomes strong in her arms by doing this physical work. Now, if you, as a housewife, you're not doing any physical work, then maybe it's necessary for you to get a bit of exercise. Just so you can be fitter and you'll, your work will go a longer way. That also helps that you don't become depressed so easily. You got a bit of fitness, you did a bit of exercise, um, and it'll give you strength so that you can work late into the night if that's necessary sometimes. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable, her lamp does not go out at night. So this excellent wife, she understands that, you know, I'll get more done if I work while the rest of the house is asleep. When the little ones, especially if she's got little children in the house, she gets more done when they're asleep and she can work in the night. Uh, so like my mother, I remember my mom when we were kids, she would work late into the night when we were asleep already and she would make us clothes. And this woman the same, works late into the night. Remember, she doesn't have a Bernina sewing machine. And so this woman, she's got a, what's it's called in verse 19, a distaff and a spindle. So the distaff, it's like a, a reed almost, about a meter long. And what she does with this distaff is she would, she would take a, a piece of wool a strip of wool uh, fleece and she would like you roll up a sleeping bag she would roll up this piece of uh, sheep skin onto the the top third of this the distaff and then she would place it between her knees you would take a distaff put it between your legs like a fishing rod like you ready to get uh, you're ready to go fishing and then then you've got a smaller little it's called a spindle in verse 19 that's about 20 centimeters long as thick as a pen and then it's got a weight at the bottom. It's like this pin, this peg uh, is pushed through a flat round stone at the bottom. And then what you do is you, you take a piece of the wool. Now the wool looks like candy floss on the top of this, this rod, this distaff. It looks like white candy floss. Then you take between your index finger and your thumb and you start rubbing. You start rubbing a piece of wool until it makes a little string. And then you tie it to the smallest stick, to the spindle. And you tie it there, and then you keep on doing that between index finger and thumb. You keep on turning until you've got a little, little uh, string of wool, and you keep on turning, keep on turning, and eventually it's long enough so you can take both the left and the right hand between index finger and thumb, left hand, index finger and thumb, right hand, and you keep on turning, you keep on turning this little string. And eventually it starts turning around the smallest stick, the spindle, uh, it starts turning around that, almost like you take a piece of string and you, you turn it around a, um, an, empty, an empty toilet roll. And so it keeps on going. And this weight helps the spindle to start spinning, to start turning around and round and round and round. And you keep on doing this, and eventually this wool, the fleece, the candy floss, it becomes uh, smaller and smaller, and your string of wool becomes thicker and thicker, and eventually you've got a whole bundle of wool around the spindle. 
So this woman, in verse 19, her hands, she puts it to the distaff, her hands hold the spindle. Her hands are not on WhatsApp. Her hands are not on Facebook. Her hands are not on Netflix. It's not on YouTube. It's not on Instagram. It's not on Twitter. She's not just busy with her phone all day, just watching movies, playing on the internet. No, this woman with her hands, she works. And the same hands, in verse 20, is open to the poor. She reaches, reaches out her hands to the needy. So the profit she makes of this clothes she, that she's going to sell, she gives some of that profit to poor people to help them, those who don't have clothes. Also the clothes she makes, she gives. She gives to them. And she's got a strong character and a worthy character. That helps her to care for the poor. Verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She's got a strong character, and that's why she cares about other people and not just about herself. And it also helps her to not be afraid of the future. Verse 25 says she laughs at the time to come. Why? Because she knows I've used my God-given talent to make a profit, to make clothes first, to sell the clothes, to make a profit. I've got money for a rainy day. I've got money if there are harder days to come in the future. And maybe the economy is bad. I've saved up some money. As my wife always says, that uh, put away money for a rainy day. And she does that. My wife has often got money for a rainy day. Now, maybe you listen to all of this and you think, this is impossible. This is like a superwoman. It's impossible. It's not impossible. If Jesus has saved you, if Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit to live in you and empower you to obey, and if you trust the Lord Jesus day by day and in prayer and in his word, then you can become such a woman. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It is possible to be like this, to be a woman like this. So the first question I want to ask you is not if you are an excellent housewife. My first question is, are you saved? Have you come to the cross of Christ? Have you realized that you deserve the punishment for your sins, the punishment that Jesus took? You and I deserve that punishment. Have you realized that the Father has accepted the offering, the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin when Jesus died on the cross? Have you seen Christ and his death as the only hope for you to be saved? Have you, can you say with a hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling? Or another hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Number three, her family. And that is in verse 11 and 12, and verse 21 to 23, and also verse 26 to 27. My sister-in-law was a chemical engineer at Cecil, and my brother is also a chemical engineer. And actually at a stage, my sister-in-law was on a higher level as an engineer than my brother, and then he jumped two levels. But she, she left all of that. She left her career to raise her children. She's got six kids. Now some people would say, how foolish, what a foolish decision. Leave a career as a chemical engineer to raise kids and wipe their noses, goodness. Well, according to scripture, she's a wise woman because a wife, a woman's first duty is to her husband, her house, and her children. Proverbs 14 verse 1 teaches us, the wisest of women builds her house doesn't mean with bricks, it means her household, her family. But folly with her own hands tears it down. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul writes about women and he says in verse 9 and 10, Let a widow be enrolled, okay, it means caring for the widows. Uh, these are the qualifications. She mustn't be less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. If she had, has brought up children, has showed hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. Titus chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says that the older woman should teach the younger woman what? Verse 5. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home. Kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And then verse 4 says uh, she should love her husband and her children. But one of the ways she does that is she works at home, says verse 5. Now, I know, I know that some moms can't do that. Now, first of all, if you're a single woman, find a job. You don't need to be a housewife. 
for yourself. And if you're a married woman and it's only you and your husband, you don't have kids, then it's fine to have a career, but not, not to this extent that you do nothing at home. Um, so it'll be better maybe to, to kind of divide it, maybe find a job where you can still give attention to your home. And then maybe there are single moms, you know, you don't have a husband. And so I understand there's a sense you have to go and work and you've got these kids and how are you going to make it? I understand that. But I want to say to such mothers that it's better to get married and have a husband who has a job than, than putting your kids in daycare and now the kids don't have any parent with them. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 verse 14 again, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the enemy no occasion for slander. So bear children, manage your household, that's God's will for you. And you see this Proverbs 31 woman, she's really devoted to her family. She's got a loyal character, and because of this loyal character, her husband, he trusts her, he trusts her with the kids, and with a bank card, and with the money, and with a house, and with everything. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. This, this woman is like a crown on his head, and she's, she's quite happy to to work really hard so that her husband looks good, so that her children look good. Verse 11, it says, he will have no lack of gain. Or verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 4, it says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. So she doesn't mind to work hard at home, and then her husband, it's like he gets the honor. He looks good at, at work. And she's really a loyal woman until death do them part, until they die, and death separates them. She just does good to her husband and not bad. Verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. For instance, she makes warm clothes for her family. Um, she's not afraid if it snows in the winter because she's no, she knows they're warm. Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. Uh, and then it also says in verse 21, her household are clothed in scarlet. So she's not only a functional woman, making functional clothes, but also pretty clothes, attractive clothes, beautiful clothes. It's scarlet. It's a deep red color. Now, the Hebrew word for scarlet can also mean double thickness. So it's double thickness. It's really warm uh, for the winter. She's not afraid that they're going to get cold at school. Um, she's not afraid that her husband would get cold at work, or maybe she homeschools the kids. She's not afraid they'll be cold. They've got proper clothes. This is the kind of woman... If she makes beautiful clothes and functional clothes, this is the kind of woman today, uh, she'll go and buy beautiful wool and, and knit scarves or she'll knit bed socks. And they're not only warm, but they look good. Uh, they look beautiful. And then she also makes blankets. She makes duvets in verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Makes things that look nice and they're warm. And then for herself, even verse 22 Second part, her clothing is fine linen and purple. So she makes clothes for summer. Fine linen uh, and then this purple color, beautiful color. Remember in verse 13, she bought the flax. So that's how she makes the linen. And then she dyes it this deep red-purple color. And so she's, she's got taste. She's dressed well. She looks attractive. And I think that's necessary today also for housewives because your husband works among uh, women and they're attractive and they dress uh, sharply. They're sharply dressed, they're attractive, they look good, and they're in the workplace and they surround your husband. So you can't, as a housewife, you can't stay in your pajamas all day and your, you can't stay in your tracksuit all day. Be like this woman in verse 22, where her clothing is fine and in the purple, she's well dressed, and she looks pretty, she does her hair, and she puts on her little makeup, and when her husband comes home, he sees, wow, I've got an attractive wife, I've got a beautiful wife. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be a model. Remember verse 30 said, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But it does mean at least look attractive for your husband, verse 22. Now, how, do, how does verse 23 fit into the picture? You find this husband, he's really well known in the city. He's got an important job. He's known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What does this mean? I think what it means, um, this husband sitting in the city gates, the point of this verse is to show you that the husband, he's just the tip of the iceberg here, that the wife, she's the invisible part. She, you don't see under the water the, the bulk, the massive part of the iceberg. So this husband, he gets all the praise at work, what a great man he is, 
But most people don't know there's a great woman behind this great man. It's because, it's because she does her job so well at home, her work so well at home, that he can focus on his work. Like Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther accomplished much in the Lord's work, but Martin Luther wouldn't have been able to, done, uh, to do that without his wife, Katie, because she was an excellent housewife. And it's like she, she had this uh, safe harbor at home where Martin could come home and get, have a good meal and relax and enjoy time with his wife and kids. And that's why he accomplished so much, because he had this excellent woman, this excellent wife. So please don't say, in the light of that, please don't say, you know, I'm a housewife, I don't mean anything. If you think that way, then your vision is too small. Think of the future. Think of a woman like Sarah Edwards in the 1700s, the wife of Jonathan Edwards. You know, Sarah Edwards was an excellent housewife. She was an excellent wife. She was an excellent mother. And from Sarah Edwards' family... Uh, and her descendants, there came college professors and uh, college presidents of college, of colleges and, and lawyers and magistrates and doctors and people who hold office in the United States and pastors and missionaries and authors and people who were the founders of the most important industries, the greatest, the biggest industries in the United States. So don't feel worthless as a housewife. Your husband, your children, your descendants, their influence on society is your influence. It's because of your influence that they can have an influence. I got a very nice letter from someone in the church last week just encouraging me, saying when you feel discouraged, don't forget that the Lord is using you in this church. And you know, when I prepared this sermon, I thought, actually, that letter should have gone to my wife. I can do what I do because of the wife I have. Verse 23, this man is known in the city gates. Why? It's because he has such an excellent wife. And even if the world does not acknowledge it, they look at your kids, they look at your husband and say, oh, look at them, look at their success, look how wonderful they are. They don't know it's you standing behind these men, behind these children. But even though they don't acknowledge it, the Lord will, and the Lord does see it, and the Lord will reward you for this, according to Ephesians 6, verse 8. Ephesians 6 verse 8 says, here's a principle, whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So God will reward you on the day of judgment. And also, also remind yourself of the spiritual influence you have. Uh, you can have a spiritual influence on your husband, on your children, by giving wise counsel, by giving uh, teaching of kindness, kind words that you speak to your husband and to your children. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And if you want to be able to do that, then you need God's wisdom. You need God's wisdom. You need to, to seek God's wisdom by faith, by the word, and through prayer. Uh, Proverbs 2, verse 1 to 6, you seek this wisdom as silver, as gold, as, as uh, treasure. You seek for it, and this wisdom comes from God. He will give it to you. You call out for it. You search for it. Read good spiritual books if you can. Listen to good preaching by men like Paul Washer, or John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, and others. Listen to good preaching, Steve Lawson, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. While you're busy, just put on your headphones if you can, while washing the floor, while mopping the floor, while doing the dishes, while making the bed, while doing the washing, while hanging up the washing, while ironing uh, the clothes, and so on. Or doing the garden or whatever you do as a housewife. And then try and be part of a woman's Bible study at least once a week. And if you don't have a woman's Bible study, then start one. Start your own. Start a woman's group. Invite other housewives once a week for an hour, for an hour and a half, to just come and sit, bring the kids along, let them play, and you spend time in the Word. I think if you, if you do that kind of thing, that'll help you to not feel, oh, there's no intelligent conversation. Well, now you've got intelligent conversation, and this will also help you to profit from the word, to grow spiritually, to get wisdom, to get knowledge. And you can talk with wisdom about life. As verse 26 says, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Proverbs 15 verse 2. It says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. So now you're speaking with wisdom. And what's going to happen is young women are going to come to you and they're going to seek your counsel. They're going to ask for your wisdom and your counsel Rather than going to the woman, all she knows is QuickBooks and Excel. Well, she's got knowledge, but she hasn't got wisdom about life. But you've got wisdom about life. 
And you can open your mouth with wisdom. And that, those women are going to come back. As we see in Titus 2 verse 3 and 4, the older women teach the younger women. And so those women will come back, those young women, especially if your counsel, if your counsel was biblical and you spoke with kindness. So you spoke with wisdom, verse 26, but also with kindness, those women are going to come back. So may I, may I come toward the end of my sermon and say, if, if until this afternoon, if until this point in your life you've looked down upon housewives, or maybe you as a housewife, you've complained about your assignment, your task, your calling as a housewife, then I really hope that Proverbs 31 has changed your mind. And I hope you, you don't think of housewives any longer as women, you know, they just sit around, they've got nothing to do, they're bored. Now verse 27 says, she looks well to the way of her household, she does not eat the bread of idleness. I hope you are more thankful for the housewife in your life, as verse 27 says. She looks well to the ways of her household, and you're thankful for this woman, and you're thankful for all she does for you, or maybe if you've grown up and that was your mother, you're thankful for what she did for you. And it's especially, it's especially the husband's task to make it possible for his wife to, to work at home and to enjoy working at home. Now, if you want to know how to do that, I'm going to close by reading this email to you. So in the week, when I prepared this sermon, I wrote an, uh, a WhatsApp to a number of women in the church and also women outside the church. And I said, please, will you help me? What are the frustrations and challenges that housewives face? And what counsel would you give to new, a new housewife, a young housewife? And I got excellent answers, but this answer just blew me away. This, this email, this is from a man. I thought, what? He just came from a totally different angle. Let me read it to you. Dear Iva, I believe that a housewife's greatest challenge or challenges will arise from a husband that does not have a full-orbed Christian worldview of the home, thus making his ability to shepherd his wife in the glories of homemaking impossible. She will face other challenges for sure, but without the solid rock of a godly husband that looks to the great rock, that's Christ, for everything, the majority will be out of control. Challenges and frustrations housewives experience? There are many. Here are five. Number one, a husband that is weak and hypocritical. A well-run home doesn't start with a woman, the wife, the mother. It begins with the man, the husband, the father. 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. He must manage his household well. Wives learn best how to manage the home by watching her husband manage the home. And husbands manage the home best by managing themselves best. The husband can't point out the speck in his wife's eye with a log in his own. Solomon tells husbands and fathers it's much harder to rule self. Get that down. And running the home isn't as daunting. Guard your tongue. He's talking to men now. Lose weight. Work out. Kick that habit. Write out the family goals. Curb your anger. Nothing so frustrates a housewife as when she's told to keep the house in order when her husband's life is in disarray. Judgment begins at home. Number two, a husband that does not value lots of kids. Bored women often want to leave the home. Women with no or few kids are often bored. One solution is having lots of kids. The husband needs to teach his wife that having kids is normal, like the way seeing color with our eyes is normal. Color blindness is abnormal, so is barrenness. These are sad events that cannot be helped. Some women can't have kids, in other words. If a couple can have kids, they should have many. Genesis 1.28 A husband should constantly instill in his wife, against the world's onslaught of lies, he should instill that children are a reward, Psalm 127.3. Children are beautiful, Psalm 144.12. Children are loved by Jesus, Matthew 19.14. Children are, uh, are powerful like arrows, Psalm 127.4. Yes, a woman is to be a keeper at home, Titus 2 verse 5, but it is assumed in verse 4 that she has a husband and children. That's the proper order. Marriage, children, home. 90% of couples can have children in the first year. Number three, a husband that does not constantly listen and talk to her. A husband that tells his wife to be a housewife but then ignores her by vegging in front of the TV or crisscrossing the city on hunting trips, jet skis and biking treks is like asking her to cook a beautiful meal and then letting it spoil in the oven. Housewives spend much of their day around people with far fewer brain cells than she does. 
A husband is only proving his brain cells are even less when he expects her to love this setting. In other words, love being a housewife without having outlets with grown-up conversation. Look her in the eye. Thank her and praise her constantly. Listen to her problems. Don't try to fix all of them. Send love letters. Make her laugh. Tell her every detail of your day. For some reason, women love this. Number four, a home that is in financial turmoil. Many women don't want to stay home because they don't feel free. They sense the financial restraints. I've got to help work, she says. My wife simply cannot relax with me at night unless she knows all of the kids are safely tucked in bed at night. Me saying, oh, they're on the way, is simply a conversation ender. In the same way, many women simply cannot enjoy home when they have not been financially freed to care for the house and children. The husband saying, the budget will somehow balance, only adds to her frustration. In our materialistic world, the husband must make financial choices so as to give his wife wings to fly. Show constraint. Drink water, meaning instead of coke. Sell the extra vehicle. Work an extra job or two. I understand there can be legitimate financial concerns, but oftentimes the woman must work. Well, that's simply because of poor financial decisions and purchases in the home. Number five, a church that does not value homemaking and children. Macadamia trees need fertile soil, proper compost and almost endless water. Housewives that thrive need godly husbands, good preaching and a fellowship of believers with a similar worldview of the home. I have a friend that once put diesel in his petrol car. I helped push it home. If you want a frustrated housewife, tell her to stay home and be happy about it and then join a church that tells her she can be a cop, a CEO, a soldier and a professional athlete just as well as a man can. No, she can't. Find a pulpit that teaches a biblical view of manhood and womanhood. If you don't, it won't be long until you're having to push her home too. And then I end with this... Uh, in, in, in the same email. Counsel for young housewives. Number one, don't put your kids in daycare. Number two, make your home the kind of place your husband loves to be. Number three, have lots of kids and have them early. Childlessness or few children are often based on poor decisions, often pushed by the husband, and is often a source of great regret and pain later on in life. A woman's impulse to have children is from God. Her impulse to ignore this, this impulse is from a fallen world. Don't ignore this God-given instinct. Don't even put it off too long, for just as God has given this natural urge to bear children, he has also given women a biological clock. She can't have children forever. A woman's chances of having children at 25 is higher than at 30, at 30 higher than at 35, and so forth. One day the petrol will run, petrol will run out. You may want to wait, wait 5 or 10 years, but then the car may be on E for empty. I've never once met a parent that wished they had less children. I've met countless that wished they had more children. And number four, develop hobbies that strengthen the home. The virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 was an industrious woman. She considered a field and bought it. Staying home is more than just kids and husband. Make crafts, attend auctions, pick up the flute again, sell chickens, start a business, review books, be hospitable, work to make your house beautiful rather than working eight to five to make other people's houses beautiful. Number five, find models of godly homemakers and learn from them. And finally, number six, read the book called Female Piety by John Angle James or the book called Fit to Burst by Yankovic. Paul. That's from my friend Paul. Now maybe that's too radical for you, um, but I want you to see the bigger picture, that a housewife's calling is one of the highest callings in the world, and that her husband should cherish this calling. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. This is... Maybe a radical sermon, Lord, and it's definitely not the way the world thinks about things. But I pray that you would help the women in our church and the housewives in our church to cherish the calling you've given them and to honor and glorify you in this calling. In Jesus' name, amen.